<laughs> John 1, let's get into the Word. Praise God, it's a good season to read out of John 1. You know, I like the gospel of John, I like them all, of course. You couldn't be, a, couldn't be a pastor if you didn't say you liked them all, right? What I like about the gospel of John is at first glance, it doesn't seem to be, doesn't focus much on the birth of Jesus. It might not be, uh, it doesn't describe the situation or the circumstances around his birth or around his coming. But John 1 actually starts out before the rest of them. Some people think, well, John starts later. The book of John starts with John the Baptist, and it's not named after John the Baptist, it's named after John the Apostle who wrote it. But people say, well, John, John's gospel starts later than them all because it starts with the preaching of John the Baptist. I would contend that the book of John starts before them all because it starts before the beginning of time. With that wonderful first thought, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you had to learn one scripture in the Bible, that, that would be in the top 10. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A lot of people wonder about the nature of Jesus Christ. Was Jesus a good man, born at an important time in history who had lots to teach us? Well, certainly, yes, he was. Was he a prophet? Yes, he was. Was he a Messiah? Yes, he was. But before all of those things, he was with God, and he was God. We have to understand, like I said, it's, it's very easy sometimes that we talk about the birth of Jesus. It's important to embrace Jesus' humanity. He was fully God and fully man. It's important to embrace that. He was not a ghost walking around. He was not a shell that at some point uh, became the Son of God, but he was both at the same time. Thinking about it makes your head hurt a little bit because it goes beyond the, our ability to comprehend how he could have existed before time. But the scripture says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything, including us, that has been created was created through the Word of God, and the Word of God is Christ. The Word of God is the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ himself. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile conversation for you to read when he was arguing with some of the Pharisees of the time, and he, he was going back and forth with them, and and they were horribly offended that he had called himself or implied to them that he was the son of God because to say that you were the son of God in their mind was to say you were equal with God, which in fact is basically what he was saying. Although he said, although he demonstrated and showed us through his words and his deeds that he was submitted to the father, he said, I don't do anything unless he tells me to do it. I do nothing of my own um, my own opinion, I do nothing of my own uh, desire, but I do what he tells me to do. Nothing of my own initiative. But in, in this conversation, he says to them, they said, well, Abraham's our father. They said, well, if Abraham was your father, you would receive me. You see, because they were basing their superiority on their genetic line, 
But he was demonstrating something far beyond that, that although God's covenant came through from father to son and mother to daughter, that God's covenant came through that line, that Abraham's covenant with God was not based on genetics, but based on faith. And he said, if Abraham was your father, you would have received me. Then he says this, and, and this is a beautiful thought, and, and we're going to skip a lot of it just to say this. But he says, before Abraham was, I am. Of course, I am. Being the designation that God gives himself, he says, when Moses says, who shall I say sends me? He says, tell them I am sent you. Now, how's that for a name? Because that, you know, in, in, in that culture, in that time, your name, see, we name kids now by what sounds cool. You know, this sounds kind of neat. You'll throw names out just because you knew somebody in junior high that was a jerk. You won't use that name. But names to them spoke about who you were. Who you were, who you were going to be. And in fact, when we say a good name is above all, uh, you know, is above, above rubies and, and gold and gems, when it says that in the Bible, it's not talking about the sound people make when they call you. It's not talking about your written name, your, your formal name. It's talking about your reputation, what people know of you. So as God revealed his name to his people, it was more than a set of letters put together. It was who he was. And it's wonderful that he says, I call myself I am. It's one of the things he called himself, I am, because that's who he is. He is everything, existence. He is. He's life. He's everything that we see comes through him. And so Jesus, the Bible says this, that everything came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It backs that up in Colossians. It says everything was created by him, through him, and for him. That includes us. Then it says this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, some of your Bibles say did not comprehend it. Some of your Bibles say did not overpower it. Those seem like very different thoughts. Why is there a difference? Because the, the word there in the Greek is to grasp or to snatch. So you can interpret that either way. You can interpret that to mean they it could not grasp it or it could not grasp it like take it away. I think both are true and both are backed up through Scripture. The darkness cannot comprehend the light, nor can it take away the light, right? I've used this example before, and you're probably tired of me using it, but I think it illustrates the point well that you can't go into Walmart and pick up a flash dark that when you turn it on, it shines a beam of darkness in a light room. That doesn't work. But you can pick up a flashlight. And when you shine a flashlight in a room, there's not a battle, an epic struggle between the light and darkness, is there? Do you ever see the light go out a little bit and then retreat and then go back? You don't see that, do you? Wherever the light goes, darkness is dispelled because darkness is simply an absence of light. So here's the good news. Darkness cannot overpower light. Remember this, believers called to Canada, that no matter how much you look around and go, oh, what's happening over there? Oh, what's happening over there? There is no power known to mankind that can overcome the light of God, the light of the gospel, the light of Christ. Amen. 
The only trick is you got to shine your light, right? Jesus said you have the option to put it under a basket, but that's a dumb move. In fact, he's the one that places us on a lampstand so that we might give light to all that are in the house. And that doesn't mean the house is not this. In that case, Jesus is talking about the house as if a, a place where there's darkness, as there's other people who don't have light. That's why you need to shine your light. Here he says, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. Where did the light come from? It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. What happened when you received Jesus? You became born again. You were renewed. Your eyes were opened. Light entered you. Life entered you. Light entered you. In him is life. So we were dead before we were in him, right? Remember the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve? If you eat this, you'll be fine. And in fact, when Adam observed what happened, when Adam bit into that fruit and he didn't die, they assumed, oh, we've believed a lie. Our bodies are still working. Now, I'm sure they had very little comprehension of what death even was. But things seemed to be the same. The Lord had said to them, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. When we hear that, we think of your lungs stopping, your heart stopping, your brain stopping. But Adam and Eve kept walking around. They still had kids. They still had conversation. They lived long lives. So death is not when your body stops working. Death is separation from life. And where is life? In him is life. So when we were separated from God, we were dead. What else were we? We were blind because we were filled with darkness. There's a lot of people with good intentions. Before you came to know Jesus, you might have been a very good person by most people's standards. But in a dark room, good intentions only get you so far. Right? If I turned off all the lights in this room, and I said, okay, go, go shake your neighbor's hand, go give him a hug, go, go greet him in the name of Jesus, and all the lights were off, we would have some awkward encounters, wouldn't we? You might get a little too close to some people. You might never find the person you were trying to greet. Why? Because you'd rely on your other senses, but you, you wouldn't have the gift of being able to see where you're going and, and, and be able to discern who you're looking at or where they are. And as much as you stumble through and try to do the right thing, you have no perception of, what you're, of where you are. You know, there's an old... Um, there's that, that old story, and I'm not going to try to tell it because I'll mess it up, but that old story of the three blind men who, are, uh, who have stumbled upon an elephant. And one is filling the leg, and he says, an elephant is like a tree, and one is filling the trunk. And he says, the elephant is like a, it's like a rope. It's, the other one is, is feeling a different part altogether. And they have totally different ideas of what an elephant is because they're only perceiving the little bit of the elephant that they're touching and feeling. And that was the way it was with God. We, the, the scripture tells us, Paul said this on, on Mars Hill. He said, God has not been far from you. In fact, every culture, every nation has been grasping for God, blindly searching for him in, in case they might just find him. And you see it throughout 
our, our, our world, our planet. Look at all the religions of the world. Somebody will tell you, well, they're all roads that lead to the same place. That's not true. But every one of them are making the same effort. They're making the effort for man to find a way to get to God or God's. How can we reach the divine? So Paul says to them, you've been looking for God. You've been grasping blindly, but you know when you grasp blindly, you don't really find what you're looking for. You may find a piece of it. And if you look at all these religions around the world, there are traces of some good, but that alone can't get you anywhere. Right? It's still darkness. So Paul said to them, what you've worshipped in ignorance, I now declare to you. One of the great joys of being a preacher, and we're all preachers, one of the great joys is I get to go and talk. I love going to places where they get, they say, say what you want to say, but you're in front of a bunch of people that don't know Jesus, and you get to just talk about the gospel. That is so fun. But one of the great things is, is, is being able to say exactly what Paul said, what you've worshipped in ignorance, what you've been looking for in ignorance, what you've been grasping blindly around for, I'm about to declare it to you. Now that is good news. And you know, a lot of people, when you say that, recognize it. They go, this is what I've been looking for all my life. Some people, their pride has gotten to a level. And, and come on, guys, we've all been in that place before where pride has kept us from the light of God where their pride says, if I'm to acknowledge that I've been worshiping in ignorance, in darkness, grasping in darkness, my pride's going to take a hit. I'm going to have to admit I don't know what I think I know. Which is why the people that struggled the most with Jesus' message were not the uneducated, were not the poor and lowly of society. The people that struggled with Jesus' message the most were not even the greatest sinners. The people that struggled with Jesus' message were the most educated, the most religious, the most powerful in the religious system that they had. Why did they struggle? Was it because they were too thick to grasp it? They struggled and they stumbled because in order for me to acknowledge that he's right, I have to acknowledge that I was wrong. Can you imagine how hard it'd be for me if I got up tomorrow and realized I believed the wrong thing for all my life? And I had to get up in front of you guys and go, oops, sorry guys, I made a big mistake. That would be tough. Now we have little moments like that. Little moments where we grow and realize, hey, I've been preaching this wrong the whole time. Let's correct it. But at least I don't have to stand up and say, the whole system is busted. I've been wrong about the whole thing. <laughs> I've been wrong about everything. That's a good way to lose a church in five seconds, right? Let's go on and read this, and this will tie into what we've been talking about. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. So John wasn't the light. Who was the light? Jesus. This is one of those times where 
the safe answer is, in fact, Jesus. You know, when you're in children's ministry, where you're, you're a kid in Sunday school or whatever, and they ask you a question, you don't know the answer, the safe bet is to say Jesus. No matter what it is, the safe bet is to say Jesus. The actual answer here is Jesus. He is the true light. But I, I want us to, to, to stop for a minute and listen to this again. There was the true light. Now, if there had to be the true light, that means there were a bunch of other mimicking lights, false lights, people or, or belief systems that presented themselves as the light. But there was one true light. And coming into the world, which is what we're celebrating this season, coming into the world, he enlightens every man, every human that will receive that light will be enlightened. And it goes on and it says this in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Now this is in two senses. First of all, everybody on the planet was created through Jesus, through the word. And when the word came flesh, we didn't even recognize our creator. It's like Pinocchio not recognizing Geppetto. Like we, we didn't know this was him. But then it says he came to his own. Now that's, that's twofold because we're talking about humanity. But he also came to Israel who had the covenant, who had the prophets, who had a history of God revealing himself to them and revealing the Messiah to them, but they didn't recognize him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. Now, if God gives you the right, can anyone take that right away? No. When God gives a right, it is, you can't take it away. You can't minimize it. You can't take anything from it. A God-given right is a God-given right. He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's your qualification to become a child of God. You receive him and you believe him in his name. It says this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in this small section of scripture, we see what happened to us when we came to Jesus and received him. We got life, we got light, and we were born again. Amen. Praise God. Amen. We got life, the life was our light, and we were born again Amen. as children of God. That is radical adoption, isn't it? Amen. Think about that. Think about that. When you adopt a child, and thank God for adoption, thank God for the wonderful people, and we should all... Uh, thank God that we have a country that allows us to do it. I pray that it becomes easier and easier to adopt, um, or let me say better, <laughs> somehow better, because we need more and more loving people that are going to take kids in. But one of the things you have to overcome when you adopt a child is you have to overcome their sense, when they find out they're adopted, their sense of, I'm your child, but I'm not really your child, Right? There's that, that attachment, that, that feeling of, well, something's a little different. You have people that come up to you and go, why don't they look like you? Why don't they share the same traits as you? 
And that's something I've, I've, I've had people close to me that have adopted children. I have people close to me that were adopted. And it's something they got to they gotta fight through and, 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 and work through because people are weird sometimes and they ask you dumb questions and sometimes they're well-intentioned. But one of the things you got to deal with is I'm your kid, but I don't look like you. I don't maybe act like you. I don't, I don't have the same culture as you. But when we were adopted, we were not adopted and, 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 and someone would look at us and go, well, I know you're his kid, but you don't look anything like his kid. We were adopted so radically that we were reborn. Now, you can't do that now, right? You can't like say, okay, this is a new type of adoption. We're going to put this kid back in the womb. You're going to have the baby again. That doesn't work. We were adopted in such a dramatic fashion that we were recreated in his image. We don't look like a different person. We look like him. Thank God for that. And so here it says, we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. If we weren't born by the will of flesh or the will of man, then the will of flesh or the will of man cannot make us unborn. Right? It cannot change our status. It cannot change your status as a child of God. If we weren't born that way, we can't get out that way. That is who we are. The beauty of it is this. That when I got born again, I came back to life. And it wasn't that God took jumper cables and shocked my heart. It was that he gave me a new heart. It wasn't that he slapped me awake or gave me a shot of something and and brought me back to life. It was that I was reconnected with the source of life himself. That was Jesus Christ. And I just want to spend a moment talking about what it's like to live enlightened by the life of God. This light coming into the world enlightens every man. Well, it's not saying that every human, once Jesus came, every human walked around knowing what they're supposed to do. Because, let's not forget, most of those humans crucified him. But he goes on to tell us who gets enlightened, those that receive him. To those that receive him, he gives his life. To those that receive him, he gives the right to become the children of God. Now, what's wrong with a group of people that know more about the Messiah than you or I could probably ever hope to know, and still, when he stands right in front of them, they don't recognize him? What's wrong with that? The problem is, they see, but they don't see. Jesus said, you see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. And hearing, you don't understand. Because your eyes are closed, your ears are closed, and your heart is closed. He says, because you're walking in darkness. In John 8, remember the argument I was telling you about? He starts that argument out with this thought. Whoever walks in me, whoever follows me, has the light of life. He offered them the light of life. Now, what what, what does that look like in 2016 to be walking around with the light of life? It means that when you look around, you see a different world than everybody else sees. I don't mean to freak you out, but you see the world different. You see yourself different. You see God different because you are now perceiving what he perceives. When we were walking around in darkness, we were the person who says an elephant is a rope because we just grasped a little bit of it and thought we understood it. We thought we understood God. We thought we understood the, the purpose of life. We thought we understood our, our job. We thought we understood our kids, but we didn't. And when you receive Jesus, all of a sudden light comes. 
And that light is enhanced when you walk in it. Jesus ties it together, says, whoever walks after me, whoever follows me, has the light of life. The Bible says we have an option. You can walk by the Spirit. It says, now that we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Thank God you're alive by the Spirit of God. But you have the choice whether you're going to walk by the Spirit of God. When we walk in the light as he is in the light, things change. You have been given the light of God. If you have the life of God, you've got the light of God. When we are enlightened, we walk differently. I want to read you something out of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Now, the book of Ephesians has already set up a beautiful foundation of who you are in Christ and who we are as Christ's body. Tells us that you are in him and he's in you. Tells us that we have been seated together with him in heavenly places. It tells us, and, it, and, and the prayer is that our, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. One translation says, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you would know what the riches of his inheritance and calling are in the saints. And the hope of your calling and the riches of his inheritance in the saints. This is beautiful, the hope of his calling the riches of his inheritance in the saints. I pray that your heart would be flooded with light because once you receive the light, you understand not only who God is, but who I am. As I only make sense when I know who he is. It's like having a, an Xbox controller without an Xbox. What good does this do? Give a kid an Xbox controller for Christmas. Have fun, kid. I heard all the kids are playing with these. Thanks. Not very fun. Well, swing it around. Make a lasso out of it. Okay. Hit other kids with it. Maybe that'll help. I don't know. Okay. You know, unless you, a controller is only so good until you have it plugged into the actual system. I lost some of you just as soon as I said Xbox. You are gone. <laughs> just gone. Some of you are judging me right now. How unspiritual. <laughs> I hope you only play Bible games on that Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> I was that kid. When I was a kid, I had the Bible Nintendo games. And my friends thought it was the weirdest thing in the world. I'd bring up friends home from school. Let's play Joshua together. Joshua, what's that? How come that cartridge is a different color? Uh, it's a Bible game. Oh, okay. <laughs> the rabbit trails are the best parts, guys. Embrace them. Ephesians 4, 17 so says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Now, the mind is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's created by God. You're, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. My mind is an instrument of worship. My mind is a tool that God can use. But your mind is a wonderful servant and a terrible master. Right? It's beautiful. It's a great tool. It is just, you can't be the tool that the mind is using. The mind's a tool that you use. You are a spirit. Your spirit should run the show. Your mind serves the spirit. Your flesh serves the spirit. It says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility. What does futility mean? Uselessness. Waste of time. No power. So when he says Gentiles, 
You might look around and go, well, aren't we all Gentiles? I'm not Jewish. What he means is everybody who's separated from the covenant of God, which does not include you, because you have been made a part of the covenant of God through Jesus Christ. You were grafted in. So he's talking about everybody that's still separate from God. And guys, God is not separating people from himself. He, the Bible says, Jesus said, if, you, if I'm crucified, if I'm lifted up on that cross, I will draw all men unto myself. So God is in the business of drawing people. He's not, a, he's not out there pushing people. He's drawing them. We choose whether to come or to run. And so I affirm with the Lord that you stop walking as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, why is, is the, why is their mind futile? Why is it not doing them any good? Well, he goes on and he tells us. They are being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. You see the path? Their mind isn't helping them. Why is their mind not helping them? Is it because they're, they're dumb? No, they could be highly intelligent. Listen, there were highly intelligent people in the Middle Ages that had highly intelligent theories about how the world was flat. Didn't make them right. Right? They knew what they knew. We only know what we know. Science is a cool thing. It's a great thing. It builds great things. But science, by definition, the word science comes from knowledge. Science is limited to what we know. And guys, we don't know as much as we think we know. How do you know? How do you know you don't know what you know, what you think you know? How do you know that? You know that by looking at a textbook from 1950 and comparing it to a textbook from today. It's changed drastically. In only a few decades, it is completely different. Now, there are a lot of areas that are the same. But if you talk to somebody about the origin of life back then, the origin of the universe, how did the universe come to be? The theories have gone dramatically different. Why? Because we're still learning. We're still grasping. But who knows more than all of us? The one who created it all. Because science, as great as it is, is still a blind man feeling an elephant. I think this is what this is. And we find out we're wrong and we adjust and we try our best. But God cannot be known merely by the mind. It says if by the wisdom of the world, it says in 1 Corinthians, if by the wisdom of the world they could have known God, they would have known God. How did we come to know God? He revealed himself to us. Like if you found a bunch of two-dimensional characters walking around and tried to explain to them a three-dimensional world, how would you do it? If they can only perceive two dimensions, if everything in their world is flat, how would you explain to them our three-dimensional world? What Jesus did was he stepped as a three-dimensional God. Now, of course, that's just for this example. He's more than three dimensions, right? But it's like a 3D person stepping in at a 2D body. He stepped into our world and explained to us the Father. And if you tried to just understand it up here, your, your mind snaps after a while. Quick exercise. Think about God existing before anything else exists. Just think about God existed. Nobody created God. He's existed before everything. He has no beginning. 
your brain hurts a little bit, right? Like my brain hurts. Why? Because my mind can only understand linear time. Everything has a beginning and end. So I, how, do I, how do I explain a being that's never been created and has always been? How, how does that work? When I was a little kid, I used to say, I know I'm going to go to heaven. I know I'm going to be with, when I die, I get to, uh, even before I die, but I, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with God. And then I try to think about it and I'd, it'd almost get hard, because, it'd get almost depressing because I could not wrap my head around eternity. But he has set eternity in our hearts. Now look at this. Here's the path. Here's the chain. The reason they walk wrong is because they see wrong. The reason they, is because they think wrong. They think wrong because they see wrong, right? So they walk wrong because they think wrong. They think wrong because they see wrong. They can't see because their understanding is darkened. The light hasn't been flipped on. So when the light's not flipped on, you just do your best to stumble around in the darkness. Excluded from the life of God. So why is there no light? Because there's no life. Why is there no life in them? Certainly not because God's keeping it from them. Why is there no life? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Why is there ignorance means you don't know. Why do they not know God? They don't have the life of God because they don't know God. Why don't they know God? Because of the hardness of their heart. The only thing that's going to keep you from knowing God is your own heart. That's all that's keeping you from knowing God. You don't have to climb a mountain and see a guru on the top of some weird Himalayan peak. You don't have to go on a vision quest. You don't have to deprive yourself of food for 40 days. Do you know the only thing that's keeping us from knowing him, keeping anyone from knowing him, well, thank God, I hope, <laughs> I hope the folks gathered here tonight know him, the only thing that keeps people from knowing God is the hardness of their own heart. Because once you open your heart, he fills your heart with light. His life enters in. His life comes with his light. I want you to think about what happened when you got born again. You got brought back to life and the light switch got turned on. And all of a sudden you saw the world differently. You didn't know everything. You maybe didn't understand even, even a percentage, even a, even a fraction of a percentage of, of what you thought you should know, but something was different. You saw things different. And because you saw things different, you thought different. Because you thought different, you walked different. Now, what is he saying here? Guys, it would be idiotic for you to try to copy the world. Because everything the world's doing, they're doing because they're doing their best but they're stumbling around in darkness. Instead, what does he say? In verse 19, and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality. What does sensuality mean? What's the root of sensuality? Sensual. What's the root of sensual? Sense. You do what feels good to your senses. Why do you do what good feels good to your senses? Because if you, if you, the, uh, the, light is, the light switch is turned off in your spirit, if you have no light here, you are forced to live by your senses. So they've given themselves over to sensuality. Why is uh, 
Why is, is the porn industry so overwhelming in our culture? Why are drugs and alcohol so prevalent in our community? Because people are trying to find that, that life and that hope and that fulfillment and that satisfaction through their senses because they don't know that that life and light and satisfaction really comes from your spirit. And because they're walking in darkness, they're walking by their senses. And we were all in the same boat, which is really why it's so easy to love somebody that's broken and busted up and hurting. Because all of us were in the same boat. Not one of us, remember, we were not born of the will of man nor of flesh. We were not born by our own willpower. We were not saved. We weren't rescued by our willpower. We were not set free by our willpower. We were not saved by our willpower. So we cannot say, I'm better than you because we did nothing to save ourselves except receive life. We open our hearts to Jesus and Jesus did the work. Isn't that wonderful? So it's hard for you to ever feel arrogant when you talk to somebody or to act like you're better than someone when you realize, I couldn't have done this without Jesus. I did nothing. I was not born of the will of the flesh. I couldn't make myself born again. Couldn't make myself clean. Couldn't make myself right. They having become callous. What does callous mean? It means every human being had a heart had a conscience that was sensitive to the Spirit of God at some point. Callous only happens after poke, poke, resist, resist, you become callous. These guys became callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and you've been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We touched a lot of points tonight, but I hope that if you walk away, that's what you walk away with. This season, we celebrate God becoming human, the Word becoming flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. But what we're really celebrating is light dawning on a dark world. Light, in fact, one of the scriptures that talks about Jesus' birth, many of them actually, say the people who sat in great darkness saw a great light. What I want you to walk away with tonight is the knowledge that the life of God that was imparted to you when you received him and believed him, you became the children of God and you were brought back to life. And the life you received is also the light you received. And I want to encourage you tonight. View the world with eyes wide open, with the knowledge that the light switch has been turned on and walk according to that light. Jesus said, while the light is with you, walk with the light so the darkness does not overtake you. What was he talking about? He was the light. 
He said, guys, if you'll walk with me, the darkness will not overtake you because you're walking with light. You're walking in light. Now we have his spirit. The light switch in our own spirit's been turned on. And when the light switch in our spirit's turned on, he says, you can be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The light in my spirit is meant to turn the switch on in my head. And that's good. Because that means that the spirit that's in me is now generating light. It is now, and you might say, this is just getting too weird. What is light? It's what you can see. It's what you know. The things you stumbled around trying to find. You try to figure out why you're on the planet. You try to figure out what you should do, who you should marry, what you should say, what you should, what you should not say. What you should do with your life. What's the purpose that you were created for? All of that. All of that is why he turned the light on, so that you could see who he was, so that you could see who you were, so you could know why you're here, so you could see the path that you were going in. He gave you his word, which is a light into your path, a way for you to walk in. And now we walk according to a new way of thinking. But guys, if you allow yourself to be discipled by the world, you will think like the world. But if you allow yourself to be discipled by Jesus, you will think like Jesus. How would I be discipled by the world? If the number one voice in your life is the TV you watch, you're being discipled whether you know it or not. Before long, you begin to think, there was a show that made me laugh. And because it makes me laugh, I watch it every week. That show, the people that write it, have no idea who God is. They have a worldview that is, in fact, contradictory to that. And because you've devoted yourself to that show, you become a disciple of that way of thinking. And before you know it, your favorite celebrities tell you what to think. Now, I'm not saying you need to throw your TV out the window, but I am saying go, with, go into this whole situation with eyes wide open and know everybody's got a worldview. Everybody's got a point. I want to be filled with light. Where does that light come from? It comes from a renewed spirit. It comes from God himself. And when I allow myself, my spirit to lead my mind, all of a sudden you're going to open that book up and you're going to see Jesus. All of a sudden you're going to open that book up and you're going to see life. All of a sudden you're going to close your eyes and say, God, I need your direction and he will show you the way you should go. All of a sudden, you will see your neighbor that is as pesky and as annoying as neighbors can be, who every time he mows the lawn, mows over your sprinklers, and does stupid things like that. And instead of seeing him as an annoyance, you'll see him like God sees him. To begin to see the world as Jesus saw the world. Because Jesus walked around with the lights on. So when somebody was sick, there were times when he just healed them. And there were other times where he rebuked a spirit of infirmity. How did he know what to do? He saw what was wrong with him. When he spoke to those that tried to trap him, the Bible says he perceived what was in their hearts. He saw what no one else saw. And when everyone else wanted him to overthrow the Romans, because the Romans are the problem, Jesus was walking around with the lights on and knew the problem wasn't the Romans. The problem is you're in bondage to sin. I'm not going to fix your problem with the Romans. I'm going to fix your problem with life itself. 
we get to go a little deeper on Wednesday nights. So I hope your brain doesn't hurt, but let's just think about this. If we are the children of God, and we are, the children of God are meant to walk as Jesus walked. And Jesus does not want you to walk in darkness. So what did that verse in Ephesians say? Stop thinking like everyone else thinks. Because they're darkened in their understanding. We've received light. The life of God was meant to flood you with light so that you can finally see the things that have been hidden for so long. What would happen if 1% of the people of Lloyd Minster walked around with the lights on? Walked around with the light of, uh, light of God leading and guiding them. Walked around as if Jesus himself were holding their hand saying, walk with me this way. Go with me to this person's house. Do what I'm saying to do. Because that's exactly what we've been given through the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the light. And if 10 people, if 50 people, if 100 people stood in the city of Lloydminster, full of light, allowing themselves to be led and animated and empowered by that light, if they just stood up and were who Jesus told us to be, think about what it would be like if Jesus came to Lloydminster and started a ministry right here. The truth is he did. He set up a church in Lloydminster. And it's not the word church, it's his church. It's all of these people. It's all these believers in this city. He's got a church. He's got a headquarters. He's got a fort right here in Lloyd. And it's supposed to be generating light to the house. It's not supposed to be generating light to the church. It's supposed to be generating light to the house. Thank God. Now, I was a little upset, just like you were, when City Hall stopped putting a nativity scene up. But my goodness, it's... If we're, if we're depending on City Hall to get the gospel out, we're all in trouble. There's enough believers and Christians and churches in this city to put out light, to fill the city with light. We just got to be stop being so ashamed of the light. We got to stop being worried about, about the damage light might do if it gets out of the box, if it gets out of the bubble. Let light come out of you. Live who you are. Let God animate your life and, and, and inform your life. Let your mind be renewed to a, to a new way of thinking. Because if we were to blindfold 80% of the room and the other 20% had their eyes open and we were to say, go around and touch the north wall, go around and touch the south wall, sorry, north, north wall, south wall, west wall, and east wall. How many of you believe that they'd all do it at the same period of time? They'd all get it done same amount of time. No. The ones who have their eyes open are going to know where to go, going to know what to avoid, and I would sure hope they're going to know enough to take the people who are blindfolded by the hand, remove the blindfold, and say, walk with me, I know the way. Amen. We know the way. Amen. Capital W. Amen. We know the truth, and we know the life. Amen. What a beautiful season to celebrate light. Light triumphs over darkness. Darkness may not comprehend it, but darkness cannot overthrow it. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me. Let's just thank the Lord.